What number is this? Nine? Is it nine? Is it nine? August, August September, October, November, November December, December, January, February, February March, March. April. Nine. Yeah. Nine. Holy moly. We're nearly in double figures. We almost, yeah. We are, so uh so this is episode nine of the She Watchables podcast. No My one's word. more surprised than me. Maybe me. Possibly. Uh, this month, it's, a- it's April. It is April. Where's this year going? I know, I'm confused. It's like That's when you take on. a day off during the week and then you can't keep up with what day it is anymore. I feel yeah, like this year is all like that, but in months. Exactly. You, yeah, you take a day off <laughs> and you can't remember what month it is. Yeah. So it's April. Yeah. So what we thought we would do, we did our Easter episode, didn't we, last month? Um, and we thought that this month, it's April, we would do something a bit April fooly. Um, a little bit twisty, turny, a bit tricksy. Yeah. And then we struggled for ages to come up with one. And then we wondered <laughs> why on earth we were pursuing this uh, this theme nonsense uh, from month to month. And then we came up with one that almost works. Yeah, it's, I reckon it works pretty well. Do you think so? We're crowbarring yeah. it in a little bit, but we'll explain why we believe that this belongs on the She Watchables podcast, which... Is mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. podcast for rewatchable British and non Hollywood films. Yeah, and that is it, why it fits. It does that, fit. Well, let's explain why. Let's explain. Let's explain what okay. we've chosen okay. and why it fits. When it, you know, at first glance, it might not appear to. Um, but this month we're talking about Christopher Nolan's two thousand and six film, The Prestige. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> twisty, twisty, turny, abracadabra. It seems, I mean, it's quite, it's hmm, set in Victorian England, but mm-hmm. it, it, it might it might appear to be a bit Hollywood, a bit glossy. I think it had a good budget. <laughs> it did have a decent budget, which automatically would appear at first glance to uh, mark it out as not being a British film. But it's <laughs> a it's a US UK co production. Mm-hmm. Um, between I think it's New Market Films, which is uh, a US company, and is it Syncope? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's Christopher Nolan's company, isn't company. it? Company. Yeah. yeah, which is definitely a UK company. It is set in almost entirely in Victorian England, apart mm-hmm. from that one little section. In Colorado Springs, although it is most, it is entirely, I think, filmed in the US. It is, yeah. They flitted between LA and Denver. Denver, that's where the mountains are, then, presumably. That's uh, mm. doubling for. I'm, I was going to say it's doubling for Colorado Springs. I don't even know where Colorado Springs is. Is Colorado in Denver? It probably is, yeah. It once again showing my geographical ignorance. Footnote. Colorado Springs is the second largest city in the state of Colorado and is situated around 70 miles south of Denver. Tesla's laboratory scenes were shot in Telluride, Colorado. Other films shot in this popular location include The Hateful Eight, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the 2019 mushroom documentary Fantastic Fungi. So yeah, it's it's shot in the US but set in England. Mm-hmm. It has a overwhelmingly British 
well, actually not British cast, but uh, an overwhelmingly non-American cast. Yeah, it's an international cast, I guess, isn't it? That's a very good way of putting it. We've got a British <laughs> a director, <laughs> uh, British director and writer, and the uh, chap who wrote the book was also British. So I did not know that it was based on a novel, and based on a novel by a British author until I started doing a bit of research for our. Yeah, our podcast. I didn't know it was a. I didn't know it was a British author. I did know it was based on a book, but I haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like to, but I found out some stuff about the differences between the film and the book, okay. which has made me maybe less interested in reading the book. Right. Okay. But Ooh, we should we should say up front that this is likely to be a spoilerific podcast. Oh yeah, if you've not watched the film and you want to, um, you know, even though it has been out for fifteen years, yes. uh, you better go and watch it now and then come back. Definitely. Unless you want the entire film ruining. Yeah. But not, not just by us spoiling the twist, but by us just ranting about it. Yeah. So, Unless you just, you're one of those people that skips to the end. Yeah, one of those people who back. watches films on fast forward. If you're one of those people, well, to be, <laughs> to be fair, if you're one of those people, I don't know why you're listening to this really, but. Uh, no, that's true. Hey ho. Maybe people just listen to our podcast on fast forward. <laughs> So, yeah, an overwhelmingly British, international, I keep saying British, but really I mean international, cast and crew, mm. which is why we, we think it belongs on our podcast. Um, so it's, yeah, 2006 film, the book's by Christopher Priest. It's about uh, obsessively competing magicians. Mm. So that's fair? Yes, I've got two stage magicians begin a deadly feud yes. as they try to outdo each other. Yeah, that's pretty much the, the synopsis. You sum yeah, that up pretty, pretty well. Uh, the whole thing was, I, I, I know <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna state the obvious then and say I know literally nothing about making films, but this film seems to have been shot really, really quickly. All so right, okay. It was the whole thing was made in two thousand and six, so the draft mm-hmm. screenplay was finished on January the thirteenth. It started shooting on the January the 16th, three right. days after the screenplay was finished. I mean, some films these days don't finish shooting until after the screenplay's finished. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's quite impressive. So the shooting was from the 16th of January to the 9th of April. Then the editing, scoring and mixing was completed by September the 22nd. And the premiere was on October the 17th, the same year. Wowie. Now, I know nothing about films, but that sounds really, really quick. Yeah, that's a fast turnaround. Yeah. For, for a film that's so complex mm-hmm. with such big stars. It just, I don't know, I just thought that was really interesting and quite impressive. Footnote. According to a recent study, pre-production normally takes an average of 146 days with the shoot and post-production taking 106 and 301 days respectively. The Prestige took 249 days from the start of shooting to the end of editing, which is really quite impressive. Added, like, pre-production before they had the script finalised and stuff, because you look at the sets that they built and they can't have just, like, whipped them out of nowhere. Oh, no, I mean, pre-production... Within the space of a few months. You know, last century, but... uh... 
Yeah. <laughs> it's it's still the moment I, that the author released the book. <laughs> more than likely, yeah. Um, and the the editing process must have that must have taken so long. By all accounts, some poor soul has worked out that there are a hundred and forty six jump cuts to different time periods in this film. Wow. Which works out around about one a minute. So mm. imagine being the poor soul who had to... Uh, I should have written down who did the editing. That's terrible of me. Because that's really, really <laughs> quite impressive. Footnote. Lee Smith was the Australian editor of Whom We Are Not Worthy. He also edited the three Nolan Batman films and Interstellar and deservedly won an Oscar for his work on Dunkirk. It, um, it's got an IMDb score of 8.5. Which I am, I am happy with that. Yeah, it's highly um, respectable. Uh, that said, until Interstellar came out, it was the lowest ranked Nolan film on Rotten Tomatoes. Discuss. Really? Yeah. Oh, when well, did when did Insomnia come out? Because that ooh, for me is my lowest rated. I don't actually know. I've never seen Insomnia. Oh, uh, you're not really missing anything. Good. <laughs> uh, it, it, pains it. Me to, it pains me to say so, because I do love Al Pacino, but it's a remake and, by all accounts, not a very good one. Probably should go back and see the original. But I'm not a huge fan of Interstellar. See, I absolutely loved Interstellar. Like, the first time I watched it, I loved it. So, for me, the fact that that sits at the bottom now, it always upsets me. And, you know, on the film groups on social media there's okay. always somebody debating the merits and non-merits of interstellar i think um, i've only seen it once maybe maybe i need a revisit yeah i think it's because you know like we might talk about towards the end of the podcast it it sort of sets its stall out as one film yeah but then completely flips you around and and sells itself as something else which i kind of feel is what the prestige does it's two thirds one film and then just you know I, I, sleight of I, hands you into a different I, genre I really i disagree with you i disagree with you there but we'll come back to that mm. in is it far-fetched i suppose <laughs> yeah but yeah, yeah. I, I don't feel that this should be so low down the list at all but you know i am controversial i'm not a big fan of uh the batman trilogy i love no. batman begins I can kind of leave the other two not overly fussed, but I know that like, I, they're I obviously like them. mean a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, I like them a lot, but the yeah, they are flawed, definitely, mm-hmm. in, in various ways. Um, in all fairness, it's a pretty solid back catalogue. So being yeah. next to bottom on that list is probably better than being at the top of many other directors' lists. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I read um, earlier that out of all of Christopher Nolan's films, like if you clump them all together, they've grossed over $5 billion worldwide. Wow. Had 36 Oscar nominations and 10 wins. That's so, that's quite a good you know, track record. He's probably not going to cry about one of his films, you know. Oh, only getting 8.5. Constantly 5. getting slated <laughs> and only getting 8.5, yeah. yeah. Um, it was Oscar nominated... <laughs> for cinematography and art direction which you know happy to go mm-hmm. along with that um didn't win though 
Uh, it won various kind of, yeah, like an Empire Award and an SFX Award, you know, those kind mm. of made-up awards, really. Um, <laughs> but um, but no Oscars. And it didn't get an ensemble nomination, which I was really surprised about. I looked oh. up our favourite Screen Actors Guild <laughs> uh, uh, award ceremonies, and um, that year Little Miss Sunshine took the ensemble award. Oh, fair dues, though. I mean, it's a good film. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I wonder whether, with the prestige, there are uh, maybe they, they fell into that trap where they don't. There's not a. There's not an obvious lead. Mm. So if they if both the main actors had been nominated for best actor, they would have split the vote. So mm-hmm. you know maybe as I say, I have, I would have had no issue with it being up for an ensemble award because I think everyone's very good in it, but. Um, didn't happen. Didn't happen, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, that is a shame. Yeah. Um, I saw it in the cinema. Uh, did mm-hmm. you see it in the cinema? I didn't know. I actually only watched this for the first time last year. No way. Yeah, honestly. Really? Were you forced honestly. to by lockdown? Or it, did you? It was a lockdown your film. Right, okay. Well, it, it had been on my list for a while because I absolutely love Christopher Nolan films as a rule. Uh-huh. Um, but I just never got around to watching The Prestige. So, yeah, it was one of my quite early on lockdown films. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, abs- uh, yeah, I really loved it. I loved it the first time round. But uh, we will come to it later. I have uh-huh. any picks. <laughs> did did you I manage... I think it's a brilliant film. It's fabulous, yeah. I've really enjoyed re-watching it. Um, mm-hmm. Did, obviously, if you only watched it last year, you've had 15 years of potential spoilers... So had you managed to escape finding out, you know... The, yeah, the... I'd never heard any spoilerific content. Excellent. I guess the fact that it was, like, the like lowest-ranked Christopher Nolan film meant people just don't care about spoiling it. It's a little bit under the radar, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But that's good, that's good. Because I, I tell you what, at the moment, I am struggling with avoiding line-of-duty spoilers. That is hard enough. <laughs> like, 15, <laughs> 15 years of that... Don't tell me anything about Line of Duty. I've just started watching the uh, the the first episode of the current series. Oh right! So oh, I'm gonna catch yeah. up. I'm gonna catch up by the time the last one's on. But literally, I'm just scrolling really, really fast through social media at the moment. Whenever I see anything, yeah. it's very difficult. So yeah, 15 years of of not being spoiled about a film. That's that's pretty good going. Although <laughs> it is impressive. I um, and again, we'll come back to twists at the end, so that if you uh. We're going to spoil The Prestige, but we are going to talk about other uh, twisty films. But um, we'll put that at the end just We're in case you want to avoid later. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the twist in this film, uh, in, in inverted commas, is I, 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 I got it. And I'm not saying that to show off or, you know, to, but I got the twist 18 and a half minutes in. I noticed when I was rewatching oh. it. Literally 18 well and a half you. minutes in, I went, <laughs> oh, I see. And what I love about this film is that it did not spoil my enjoyment of the film one bit, mm-hmm. knowing the knowing Barden's secret. Yeah, it took me a while longer. It was about I, I think it was the second time that Sarah addressed the fact that some days Barden loved her and some days he didn't, and right. it was the second time that she mentions that, which is probably a good over the halfway point in the film yeah. I was like 
Oh. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, so let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Okay. Let's put it out there. The, well, let's go through the cast. Um, obviously, the two main actors, uh, Christian Bale, who is Welsh, um, mm -hmm. playing uh, Cockney. Although if you see him in, in interviews these days, you'd be hard-pressed to, uh, to figure out where on earth he's from. But he's really? pretty good at accents. Oh, goodness, yeah. Even on the DVD extras for this, he's doing some weird American uh, yeah, English. It's like a Welsh. hybrid. It's very bizarre. But uh, mm -hmm. So he's playing two parts. We're allowed to say this now. It, we're, we're spoiling it. He's playing two parts. Yeah. Or is he he's... technically playing three? <laughs> yes. Yes. You could argue kind of three. Almost. You could. Yeah. You could. So he's he's um he's putting in some some heavy duty performance there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he's it... he's Alfred, he's Freddy. Yes. And he's uh Fallon. Fallon, yes. As well, isn't he? Yeah. He is. Um Hugh Jackman is also playing three characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's playing obviously he's Australian. He's playing uh, the American um, Angia, yeah. he who doesn't really exist. This is going to get very complicated. He's playing <laughs> Lord Caldlow, who is uh, English, and he's also yeah. playing Gerald Root. Mm -hmm. So uh, both of them, some heavyweight performances there. Yeah, You've got Rebecca very Hall, who's, who's English, um, a Sarah... Uh, Michael Caine, non more British than Michael Caine. My name is Michael Caine. <laughs> Every time, lot. I can't help no. it, I've got to do it. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> you have to. But yeah, non more British uh -uh. than Michael Caine. Uh, David Bowie, again, quintessential Englishman. Mm -hmm. uh, and Andy Serkis. So that's a pretty heavyweight... Yeah, British. Slash I, I forgot Andy Serkis was in this. Yeah, he, he even though I only watched it like a year ago. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot Andy Serkis is in this. Brilliant. Well, he does. He pops up everywhere. So he does. Rightly so. Solid cast. Mm -hmm. um, oh, Scar Joe as well. Of course, yeah. The, the Scarlet uh, Johansson and uh, Piper mm -hmm. Perabo. Perabo. Yeah, Coyote Ugly Fame. Piper Perabo. Yeah. Is ah, I was trying to figure out if she'd been in anything else. Is that is that the thing? Is that the thing that yeah, she's known that for? Yeah, that's the thing. There you yeah. go. Um, so there's only really them in the cast who are from the US, and I mm -hmm. think I think um, Scarlett Johansson puts in a decent accent. Other opinions are available, yeah. but <laughs> I have no, I have no. Issue I think with it's it. in one of my nitpicks, or <laughs> is it really something? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or it might be in fast forwards. I can't remember, but yeah, I definitely it's in took there a, an exception. I was like, oh. No. Who who is your uh, MVP? I decided that, like character wise, Cutter is MVP okay. because he's basically piggy in the middle between he is the two magicians. Yeah, um, he's, he's the glue that kind of holds them together. He is, and he keeps. He keeps trying to warn them about, you know, taking things too far. And he's obviously a nice person because, you know, he cares about, like, their other halves as well. And, yeah. And, 
uh, Borden's like little girl and stuff like that. So I love Cutter, and I think he does play. I mean, you know, he he sets all the tricks up for him. He teaches Angia like how to sort of make his show something huge and yeah. And then by the end of it, obviously realizes where things have gone wrong and helps Borden sort of get one life back. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. alert! Spoiler alert! And I, I think he, I think he puts in a real, real good acting performance as well. Because sometimes Michael Caine mm. can just be playing Michael Caine, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit going yeah. through the motions. Um, yeah. But I really think he's uh, he's a very believable character in this, even though he yeah. is essentially playing Michael Caine. He's, he's playing uh, Alfred, isn't he? From uh, he from is. from the Dark Knight. But, um, yeah, I think he, he does put in a real good performance. I think David Bowie puts in a fabulous performance mm. as uh, Tesla. He had to be persuaded to take the role on by all accounts. Oh, really? didn't, didn't want to do it. Um, Christopher Nolan approached him and said, there is literally nobody else that I want to do this this part. Um, and kind of brought him on board. You know? Yeah, he's so and he's, mysterious. And yeah. He's got, like, the right amount of, like, sort of almost creepiness. Yes, but he's all, he was already quite otherworldly, uh, David Bowie. Mm. So, so to be playing uh, someone like Tesla, uh, it really is perfect casting, isn't it? Uh, yeah. he, he had a dialogue coach. Uh, David Bowie and Hugh Jackman um, are credited as having their own dialogue coaches, which is interesting. I guess everyone else just right. had to muddle along with um, just the, uh, the regular dialogue coach <laughs> who's, who's uh, doing everyone, I guess. But yeah, they had their own. Um, so Scarlett Johansson did not have her own dialogue coach, so you know you have to let her off. Bless her. You have to cut. It's her a some good slack. effort. It's a good yeah. effort. I, I'm going to go. I'm going to be controversial, and I'm going to. I'm going to. I've got two MVPs, and they mm-hmm. are Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. Jonathan Nolan obviously wrote the screenplay yeah. because I just think they do an amazing job. As I, I, I haven't read the book, but I did do a little bit of uh, snooping around to find out mm-hmm. if there are any differences. And there's quite a lot of differences. Okay. And I think the, from the sounds of it, sorry, you know, it's an amazing concept and obviously the film wouldn't have come about without the existence of the uh, of the book. But in the book, uh, Andrew's wife doesn't die at the beginning. She's injured, but she doesn't okay. die. There's apparently a seance, which Borden, or a fake seance, which Borden uh, spoils, and as a result, uh, Angie's wife is injured but not killed. So that kind of right. lowers the jeopardy a little bit, doesn't it? You know, it does. The kind of... Yeah. And then the cloning machine, we'll call it, in the book, what that does instead of making a perfect replica of the person or hat or cat that goes inside it, it actually mm-hmm. transports the essence of the being into the new body. So the old body is basically like an empty husk. Oh. And what right, happens okay. at the end is it kind of, it, 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 it all goes wrong and he ends up with two of them knocking about. Right. Um, Borden does interfere with the trick, but he doesn't kill the clone. So there's mm-hmm. two of them. And one of them is the real man, if you like, and the other is mm-hmm. a kind of half-formed thing. Um, oh, dear. So it all sounds it probably it probably makes a much better book, but yeah. you need a bit more. I don't know, black and white. The the film's yeah. already shades of grey, twisty enough. 
without yeah. having these kind of, you know, grey areas, I think. Maybe. Yeah, it sounds like the film's kind of refined it a bit. Yes, definitely. So for that reason, I'm going to say that uh, Christopher and Jonathan Nolan are the MVPs mm. of this film because they've taken what what is, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, is amazing source material and then made it better. Mm-hmm. And put yeah. it on screen in in with the hundred and forty six jump cuts, you know. And you can still you can still follow it. You can still mm-hmm. follow it. I've watched linear films that made less sense than this, you know. Yeah. Lots of them. So yeah. you know, <laughs> that's true. Fair play. I do you. love the way that they've like they kind of jump between like diary entries from each magician, yes. don't they? Yeah. But it's still coherent. It and is. It, and it flows like really well through the film. It doesn't ever really feel like they're doing an unnecessary sort of jump back, back to something or no, jump it's not to somebody like a, else's perspective. It's all it just flows like so well throughout the whole film. It's not like a voiceover that the the diaries don't seem to be a crutch to the story. No, the part mm-hmm. of it, you know, that they're not. It's not exposition, is it? And then when you realise that they both deliberately gave the diary to each other mm-hmm. and they know that the other is going to read it. That's, you know, that's really clever. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing's really clever. I think it's great. Again, I think the reason why it's rewatchable, I know you've maybe only, have you watched it a couple of times now. I think... Uh, it'll be like two and a half times, technically. Two and a half. Did you watch it on Fast Forward? <laughs> uh, I did I did go back to a few bits just <laughs> yeah. to remind myself again, like, hold on, what what did happen there? And I did have to, um, I kept having to uh, rewind, like, the last scene or two yes. just to catch what they were saying. Yeah, I, I did that. I did a, just to clarify in my mind what, what was going on. But mm-hmm. I've seen it quite a few times now, and every time I watch it, I pick something new up. Every time. Yeah. Like it's never it's never bothered me. It's never really really twigged with me when Tesla and Angius is having having the conversation about how much it's gonna cost, how much this machine's mm-hmm. gonna cost. And um Robert Angia says it like don't worry about the cost, like the financial cost. And Well that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> well obviously that's not obviously he's talking on a more yeah. philosophical but what's never twigged with me before is how has he got all the money to do this? It never well, occurred he to him. It at the start of the film, doesn't he? That he it, says his his family. He, he comes from a rich family, and the, it, that's why he had to yeah. change his names because he was embarrassing them with with his magic. Yeah. But so they're it, obviously quite happy to just give him loads of money so long as he continues to live in secret. Yeah, but you wouldn't think that would be the case, would you? You would think that they would cut him mm-hmm. off. But obviously, you realise so. that actually he. he at the end of the film, you realise he's he is and always has been Lord Caldlaw, and that's mm-hmm. that's why he's got all the money. And it's just yeah. little throwaway things like that that on on a couple of watches you go, oh, why didn't I? Yeah, why didn't I see that first time? And it seems so mm-hmm. obvious. Um, a lot of the lines. Um, let's go to favourite lines, and can you use them in real life? Um, a lot of the lines that I love are not specifically really well written lines. But they're all the little lines that give away the trick. Yeah. If you're listening for it. Okay. You know, um, because at the beginning, I think Cutter says, uh, you're not really looking. You don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're just watching the film quite superficially and you don't want to know, you don't pick these things up. But when you're re-watching it or when you're looking for clues, you pick up mm-hmm. things like, 
when the, when he's talking about the house when when Borden buys the house. Yeah. Um, and Sarah said, "But you, you know, you didn't. You weren't gonna. We weren't gonna buy this. Oh no, you caught me in the wrong mood." Yeah. And like you said, all the times when Sarah says, "You don't love me today," that's not true today. Um, Sacrifice—that's the price of a good trick. Um, total devotion, self-sacrifice—the only way to escape. He lives his act all the time, um, mm-hmm. living your whole life pretending to be someone else. But when the finger, oh, the finger incident. Oh. We'll, come, we'll come back to that and can you watch it with your mum? It's as bad as the day it happened. Yeah. And again, when you rewatch it, oh, of course it's as bad as the day it happened because it's not his hand. And what about his brother with the, with the, the bird at the beginning? Which was the point mm-hmm. at which I realised that there's two brothers. Yeah. When the little boy, when, when he, you know, he brings, Cutter brings the, the bird back. Yeah. And the little boy says, but what about his brother? Because he realises that he's yeah. obviously killed the first bird and this is a different uh-huh. bird that looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether I was just tuned in and looking for a twist, but as soon as he said that, but what about his brother? I went, ah, that's it. Yep. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And that's, I love all those little lines. Because mm-hmm. they're just little little breadcrumbs. They're not, they're, they're not yeah. bashing you over the head with it. But they're just little breadcrumbs for you to follow mm-hmm. if, if you want to. You've just got me thinking about that scene where Borden meets Sarah, and sort of not too long after that, he walks her back to her apartment. Yeah, and she leaves him at the door. Yes, and then she like locks her apartment door from the inside, turns around, yeah. and he's in the apartment. And I was thinking, hold on, but they have literally just met. Surely not both of them were following a like one was walking yeah. home the other one was following a home and stuff and why would they do that because obviously it's alfred who's interested in sarah yes and not freddie true yeah so that um, maybe i should have saved that for a nitpick yeah, bit, but it just popped back that, into my brain i guess that, that, is a nitpick. that little bit doesn't make sense to me it doesn't now you're saying it i'd kind of have to go back and watch it again and Mm. try and get my head around it but no you're right if that is the first time that they've met yeah that doesn't quite make sense i think that's the impression it gives you is that it's it does basically yeah. she's dropped her nephew back off at home yeah. and, and he's uh-huh. walked to home yeah but maybe i got the wrong end of the stick no but yeah it, no you're right because he thinks that it's his that it's her son that's yeah. right so it's kind of almost it's clear that they've not met before but mm-hmm. we'll also come back to that in do we need a prequel or a sequel? Okay. <laughs> We've got a lot. <laughs> Let's do 146 jump cuts between the bit between our questions. We'll draw a, we'll draw a big wibbly wobbly timey wimey uh, diagram to show where we're going with this. Why not? Our uh, yeah, our editor Dicky can sort it out. I'm he sure can, he can, he'll fix it. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Another line that I like, well, don't like, but I think it's delivered perfectly. Um, when uh, Angia says, uh, I don't care about my wife. I care about oh. his secret. Oh, yeah. that cuts, doesn't it? That is nasty. And just the way that it's delivered, it's like he, he almost mm-hmm. clips the end of the sentence like he's realised what he's just said and mm-hmm. wants to take it back and can't. Yeah. I just think that's... And it's no wonder Olivia brilliant. just thinks, yeah, do you know what? I'm done with you. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can talk about your poor dead wife like that. Yeah. You don't care about anybody. Yeah. It's it's a story about obsession, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Any any well, favourite lines? Uh, are you watching closely? Yeah. I do like that. It's, it's yeah. simple. I like it. it. I also... The, th- the thing <laughs> on on another rewatch at uh, this time, I don't know, is it lockdown? Does everything make you more emotional than, than normal? I don't know. Because <laughs> this whole last year has been a bit traumatic for everybody. When Fallon says goodbye um, at the at the prison, Aww. I think, oh. Yeah. Oh. And they say they make, a, they make a big point all the way through of, like, he doesn't speak. He barely speaks at all. And really mm-hmm. that's about the only thing that we hear him say in the film. And that's, yeah. oh, that's really sad. Again, it it's is. not it's not exactly a you know it's not exactly a favourite line. It's not really a line. It's just a word, but it's just really well done. Mm-hmm. I like that. And of course, abracadabra. Abracadabra. That's the bit I had to keep rewinding because I was like, "What's he saying? What did he say? Yeah." And it took uh, me about four goes and yeah. turning the volume up to like thirty to go. Oh, abracadabra! Right. But he's just he's a showman to the end. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Well, I do like it how he taunts the prison guard on his way to the That's noose really by good. saying, are you watching closely? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He's even thinking about his performance, even mm-hmm. on his way to the gallows. You know, yeah. as as, uh, as Scarlett uh, Johansson's character, Olivia says, uh, you two deserve each other. Mm-hmm. Because they, they really do. The peas out of mm-hmm. the same pod, aren't they? Definitely. Mm-hmm. That was... Uh, Best lines. I don't have any worse lines because that was a category that we just set up for four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any particularly offensive uh, or terrible lines in this. But uh, while we're it's on... It's not exactly four... clunky written. It is, no, it really isn't. Um, while we're on four weddings and a funeral, though, did you get um, any degrees of Richard Curtis? Oh, I did. One... I got a couple. Oh, very yeah. good. It took me a while, this, and then I just got a really easy one. Mm. So you may have the same oh, one nice. as me. I'll let you go first. Okay, well, I thought I would do one for Hugh Jackman to Richard Curtis and then one for Christian Bale to Richard Curtis. Excellent. You know. So I've got Hugh Jackman was in Les Mis, which starred Helena Bonham Carter. And she Uh, played the King's wife in The King's Speech with Colin Firth as said King. Yep. um, Who was in Love Actually, written by... That's a good one. That is a good one. So yeah, that was that was relatively. I just yeah. took like a couple of googles to figure that little one yeah. out. This yeah. one took a little bit more, mm-hmm. but not too bad. And and there's actually a couple of different ways I could have done this. But hey, so Christian Bale. Um, why have I written that? Oh, Batman Begins. Sorry, trying to make sense of my own handwriting. Your own handwriting. <laughs> Christian Bale was in Batman Begins with Katie Holmes. So I chose Katie Holmes because, you know, we nobody mentions her anymore. I don't know what she's no. doing. But I felt like, you know, she's Katie Holmes. I feel so a footnote I, I coming up. I need to on. mention her on the podcast. We need to yeah. find out what, what um, what's Katie Holmes doing. <laughs> footnote. Katie Holmes has been working under the radar of late. She's appeared in a number of TV shows such as Ray Donovan and How I Met Your Mother and played Jackie Kennedy in the miniseries The Kennedys' Decline and Fall, which she also executive produced. Turning down the role of Rachel's considered her most famous bad decision, but let's not forget, she also married Tom Cruise. Sorry, Tom. I think she has been in something recently. Was it Logan Lucky? Oh, I really like Logan Lucky. Yeah. 
But she's just, she's, you know, she was kind of like rising star. True. And she just, she's had like a little sort of dip off since Batman Begins and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So Christian Bale, Batman Begins with Katie Holmes, who was also in Phone Booze with Colin Farrell. And mm-hmm. Colin Farrell starred in In Bruges. <laughs> That that's that another one that's got to go on the list. Another Barmy Bonkers film. Yeah. Um with Ray Fiennes, who stars in the Harry Potter films with Alan Rickman, who is in love actually. Excellent. I feel yeah. like you've really put the legwork into this one. Um, <laughs> it I, makes I a spent, change, eh? <laughs> I spent a long time chasing uh, just dead ends and red herrings. Oh until I came up with Christopher Nolan directed Kenneth Branagh in both mm. Dunkirk and Tenet. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh played Sir Alistair Dormandy in The Boat That Rocked. Oh. Which was written and directed, I think, by Richard Curtis. Yeah. That's there straightforward. We go. I like it. Isn't it? I know. Yeah. I spent ages trying to come up with that and then it just... Uh, <laughs> there it is. Nice. Well done. It's actually I found this one quite difficult because Christopher Nolan seems to have his people and mm-hmm. Richard Curtis seems to have his people mm. and they're quite separate. Yeah, never but the twain shall meet. <laughs> exactly, but we have proved that indeed they do. You just have to be a little bit creative. <laughs> what are your favorite scenes? Do you have favorite scenes? I don't. I don't it's actually have a favorite one. Yeah, because there's, yeah, there's so many, well, I was going to say there's so many good scenes, which there is, but something bad happens pretty much in every scene <laughs> to make me <laughs> yeah. not want to watch it again. Yes. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I actually couldn't pick a favourite one. I think um, everything with Gerald Root, I think, is brilliant. And I've got to say, the first time I saw it, I wasn't sure if it was actually Hugh Jackman. I know that sounds really dense. Yeah. But he looks so different. It Uh shows you how he's a great actor. Um, And also props to, I wrote the name down, Leo Corey Castellano, um, who was the prosthetics guy. Right. On this film. Props to that guy. Because yeah. I think all he's done um, to make Gerald Drew is put some teeth in. Mm-hmm. He seems to have different teeth, doesn't he? But it almost yeah. changes his entire face. It does. And then he's acting. He looks like a different person. And I did have scenes where I was going, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely Hugh Jackman. And then like, no, they've just really found someone that looks really like him. I genuinely did think they'd just found someone yeah. that looked so much like him. It, it's really, really impressive that they've managed to do mm-hmm. both, find someone who looks really, really like him, or because <laughs> it is the same guy, um, <laughs> but they, they've, they've both made him look like him and not look like him, if that mm-hmm. if that makes any sense at all. You yeah. know, he looks... In, enough. Enough is different about him. That you would realise, well, he's not his twin, he's not he's not his brother, mm-hmm. but he's similar enough that you would believe the act. But there's a bit in the film, isn't there, where somebody says that about his transported man? Yeah. Like when he's using the Tesla machine, uh-huh. the guy that comes to review it to decide whether they're going to run it, he says, 
like you need to give them enough to doubt, to doubt it that yeah. it's not real magic but he's exactly. going that is real magic like yeah you're freaking me out but you need to make it to not make as scary it. for other people exactly yeah exactly so yeah so yeah it is it's a similar kind of sleight of hand isn't it mm-hmm. um and i think um uh, borden's appearance uh in angia's trick um that's one of my favorite bits but again oh. as, as you quite yes i know what you i know what it you're doesn't thinking end about. well yeah exactly because i love well. it but it's the bit where he falls and breaks his leg uh, because oh, obviously he's moved the uh, yeah exactly exactly um he's moved the crash mat hasn't he and he just falls onto the floor and, yeah, yeah. It, that bit's horrible but i think the rest of it i just love um i love borden's appearance and he mm-hmm. he's turned into a showman he starts mm-hmm. the film, he's a good magician, an excellent magician, but he's turned into a showman at that point. I think that's really... Yeah, it's more stylish on his first sort of sabotage, isn't it? Because in yes. the first one, he basically just goes on stage and like yes. snaps that poor woman's fingers shut. Yeah, not to mention the, the, the dove. Yeah. And, and the poor dove. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's kind of he's elevated his sort of style, hasn't he? Definitely. And I don't know if you feel the same way. But I I still prefer Borden as a as a character, and I don't know why, because um, the scales really are quite unbalanced, as the as they say. You know, Angie's lost his wife. Mm. Borden loses a few fingers. We should we should be rooting for for Robert Angie, really, shouldn't we? Yeah. He's the one who's who's lost more, and yet I still am rooting for Borden, and I'm not sure why. It just seems a more likable character. I think it's where character. the characters. I think it's where they end up for me. Yeah. That makes me prefer Borden over yeah. Angie's because uh-huh. at the start Borden's really like loud and shouty and kind of crass and yeah, just offensive. Uh-huh. Whereas Angie's is a bit more refined and sort of gentlemanly like and mm-hmm. you know, he's like fair play, isn't he? He's the fair play yes. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, or at least you think so. Mm-hmm. And throughout the film, they kind of switch. Yes, yeah. A little, you know. So, yeah, I think it's just because Borden, he, he kind of, dare I say, he ends up a better person for the whole experience. Maybe not, but yeah, he's certainly got to live with everything that he's lost. Exactly. And I think you see more of his life, don't you? He, he's, he's a more rounded character. For obvious mm-hmm. reasons, you see more of his life. Um, because... Yeah. Uh, Andrew is a lot more uh, secretive, again, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, when you figure out his, his life. So I think yeah. maybe you just feel a bit more warmly towards Borden because he's got a, he's got a family life going on there and you, you kind of see the struggles that he's got. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just think it, it's testament to really good performances and really good writing all the way through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like that bit. I like the bit where he, he turns up and sabotages the... The transporting yeah, man. Yeah, it is I think good. that's really good. Oh, that noise, though. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you have... I have nothing for fast-forward or check your social media, because I think if you check your social media when you're watching this, uh, particularly the first time, you've got no idea what's going on. <laughs> Hilariously, my notes just say, chisel fingers, lols. <laughs> chisel fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because I always, like, yeah, I've got to just, mm. like, I actually, even just re-watching it, I just, like, picked my phone up and was like, uh, yeah. no. Yeah. I can't. I can't watch that bit. No. 
I know. I had to rewind it. I think I, I was. I was just. I think there was a line or there was just a little point that I wanted to clarify in my own head, and I had to. Unfortunately, it meant that I had to keep rewinding that bit and watching it, and it was just like, <laughs> oh no, I've rewound it too far again. Yuck. Yeah, yeah, the chisel fingers. Um, mm-hmm. That's the, other than that. I think you can watch it with your mum. I mean, to be fair, yeah, it. it I think my mum would be very confused. <laughs> yeah, you know, I reckon my mum wouldn't follow it too well. It's it's because it really is quite, especially if you're not used to watching any Nolan or or just any kind of non-linear film. It is quite complicated, particularly on first mm-hmm. watch. Um, but there's no bad language or violence apart from the finger chopping. No nudity. It's uh, it's a it's a it's quite it's a dark film, mm-hmm. but it's not it's suitable for all. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I did get my mum's voice in my head when I finished watching it saying, you know, and I was thinking about could I watch yeah. this with my mum and I thought she'd say, you watch some weird stuff you do. Because <laughs> <laughs> she does say that. Yeah. <laughs> about most things that I watch. Yeah. yeah. But Unless you it's could. Mission Impossible. You could. <laughs> yes. Well, she says some funny things about that as well, but we'll not go into that. She here. does. We'll save that for another time. <laughs> So, yeah, you can watch it with your mum. Oh, sadly, though, I don't think it's a more movie. Unless it's not, you. It's really not. Uh, it's really it's not. It's a typical Christopher Nolan wives dying left, right, and centre. Yes. Women hard done by. I mean, that said, they are, I think they are strong characters, Sarah and Olivia. Mm-hmm. They're very yeah. strong characters. Um, they, they almost speak, don't they? It's a shame because. This, Olivia speaks about Sarah wanting to have a meeting with her mm-hmm. on the day before she dies, but that never happens. If that mm-hmm. meeting had happened, well, to be fair, if that meeting had happened, it would have been an entirely different end to the film, I would imagine. But if that yeah. meeting had happened, you could argue that it is a more movie, but sadly, although I think they're only in the same scene once at the dinner table. Yeah, and they don't when really... they have the kind of double date and they're kind of talking across each other, but they're not actually talking to each mm-hmm. other i mean they they, they they do play second fiddle to the, the the magicians but they do both have uh, a degree of agency i think especially considering this is set in victorian times you know they've, they've still you know they yeah. do have agency in their own stories i mean sadly sarah eventually takes her own life mm-hmm. um not the best use of agency in fairness but you know she does obviously make decisions and and that's following a decline into we're, we're, we're led to believe that she's drinking a lot mm-hmm. um, and she's obviously having quite a few problems with the relationship but uh, but they kind of flesh that story out so well with the exactly. with, you know every time she says to him you love me today yeah I can see it's true or you don't love me today I can tell yeah it's like if you were on that kind of emotional roller coaster day in day out and you didn't know who you were speaking to yeah. you thought it was your other half but then they weren't acting like that. Yeah, I think that would drive you crazy. She's not portrayed as your typical Victorian gin drinking um, no. housewife, depressed housewife. She's she's is a very strong woman mm-hmm. dealing with a situation that's more complex and more difficult than even she knows. Mm-hmm. So she's a good character, yeah. and and Olivia she she does have agency because she switches allegiance left, right, and centre, doesn't she? You're never really quite certain, even as the viewer, where her loyalties lie. Yeah, but it's a shame. It's not. It, it does go to show that you can have some good 
writing for female characters in a film. Mm-hmm. And it's still, you know, the Bechdel test is not the be-all and end-all, is it? The end of the day, this film mm-hmm. is about the two obsessed, warring magicians. Yeah. So it, the, the story's necessarily going to focus on them. Yeah. Even Julia at the start of the film, she's only in it for all of, like, five minutes. But yeah. she makes an impact. She does. I mean, and... you can see that her character is very strong-minded and very like decisive about what she wants and what she's capable of doing. Yeah. I mean, okay, she gets it wrong. But, she does. But she says she you can know. slip the knot. Yeah, yeah. It's, and then it's kind of on her as much as it is on Borden. It is. And obviously obviously the reason why you can't remember what knot he tied, tied is because it's they're talking to the other twin at the time. Mm-hmm. Because there have been people making comments um, about the film, saying like that's ridiculous that he can't remember. But well, are, are you watching closely? It's a, it's a different person. They're it's asking a the wrong person. person. That's why he doesn't remember. But yeah. uh, the bits at the end were were shown. The introduction to Andrew's big show. He mm. actually says that it was Julia. He alludes to the fact that it was Julia who taught him the trick. Because mm-hmm. he says the yeah. woman, who, the woman who taught me this trick, uh, died performing it. So even like you said, yeah. we only see a glimpse of Julia, but she obviously wasn't just a arm candy, um, mm-hmm. you know. But partly the brains of the operation. So yeah, yeah. Props Good to the, writing. Props to the, yeah. Props to the writers. Sadly, Mo can't see it, and you know what? Her loss. <laughs> um, the soundtrack footnote ironic that when discussing the soundtrack we seem to be competing with Betty's kettle boiling noisily in the background and she didn't even get a brew many apologies or for the day when we can record the podcast in the same room again I knew there was something I'd forgotten to look up well I did I did look it up I looked it up because to be fair it's even though the soundtrack's present, it's not mm-hmm. in your face, is it? No. So I did have to go and hunt around for, you know, some, some nuggets, uh, read the soundtrack. Do you know what I noticed? There's quite a lot of bird song, and I'm not using a euphemism there, but um, <laughs> you've got lots of... Uh, there's a lot of quiet moments where you've got the birds uh, singing. Um, you've got uh, a Tom York song over the credits, which is might seem like a bit of an odd choice, but this seems to be a director's trademark. He's a, he's a Radiohead fan. Oh, right, OK. We'll come back to director's trademarks. Um, apparently he wanted Paranoid Android for the Memento... Memento? For the Memento uh, credits mm-hmm. and couldn't clear it. So uh, he had... Uh, so we had a David Bowie song instead. See, it's all oh, connected. Enough. It's all connected. Uh, the guy that did the, the main soundtrack... Um, for the movie was a guy called David uh, Julian, and he has done quite a lot of uh, Northern's early films. Oh, okay. Um, he did uh, a short film, Larceny. He did uh, Following. Uh, apparently, it, it's it's been said in uh, in movie law that the budget for the soundtrack for Following was uh, about eight dollars for a blank tape. That was literally, that's what it cost. Uh, he did Memento, nice. he did Insomnia. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't do Batman. Didn't do Batman Begins, but he did The Prestige. 
Um, so yeah, uh, he does have a little. Uh, he does have a pet composer. Nice for his early films, and then it starts for his again. Early films. Exactly. Like these days, yeah. it's just very loud, isn't it? It's just very yeah. Now we can just afford Hans Zimmer. Exactly. It's fine. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, all his early films uh, were, were scored by uh, by the same guy, David uh, Julian. So nice. They don't stand out. I mean, you're you're more a soundtracky person than I am. I wouldn't say it, the the soundtracks that you would that you would listen to on Spotify necessarily, but mm-hmm. they do they fit the films perfectly. Well, that's good. More yeah. like a soundscape than a soundtrack. Yes. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. For Memento, um, the score has got distinct soundscapes for the black and white and the colour sections. Right, it's okay. So the black and white sections, are, he, he describes it as being oppressive and rumbly, which I think is a <laughs> technical musician's term. Um, and for the colour, it was brooding and classical. So, okay. like, as you say, he, he's more, a, a, I would say, a soundscapist. Yeah. Um, Sounds like he's sampling my stomach when I'm coming up to meal times. <laughs> oppressive, <laughs> oppressive and rumbly. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's me about 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, has it dated, do you think? Uh, I would say only in its intended way. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's a period drama, so... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think you could say that it's dated. Really, there's no like, there's no special effects that look out of place in sort of you know, fifteen years later. And no, nothing. The story is really. a, a it's a classic story of um, mm-hmm. of obsession, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't think it has dated, or it's dated very well. I suppose we should say. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um I, I, um I was struggling to find any any running or good food. I was just about to say <laughs> Yeah, speaking of food, there was there was no food, there was alcohol. Lots of alcohol. But not really any food. No. Well, there's a lesson there for us all, isn't there? That's <laughs> you know, lots of alcohol, no food, it's not going to end yeah. well. And and no running but brisk walking. <laughs> Much brisk so... walking, yes. <laughs> Yeah, there was lots of brisk walking. I think there's a tiny, tiny amount of running when Tesla's um, laboratory is on fire. Ah, uh, right. Like, yeah. I mean, a minuscule amount of running, but certainly no recreational running. Mm-mm. When Right, so when did people start running for recreation and not away from things? There must be, there must be like some kind of That's a good point. time yeah. in history when people ran for fun in inverted fun. commas well Research it's gotta at least go back to like greek olympic game style things true. i guess yeah true but maybe not i'm not assuming the it was around person. before that yeah but maybe not the average victorian person no just just for athletes yeah plus are you really gonna want to go i mean it's questionable whether you want to go running in london when it's at full smog as it is true in present yeah. day so would you really want to go running around london yeah, maybe not. In the 1800s? Maybe not. Not so, for fun, yeah. at least. So, so, so no running, no good Mm-mm. food. Lots of meals. People go out for lots of meals in this in this film, but no one eats anything. <laughs> they usually just argue and leave. 
Maybe that's what the scene in Tenet's about. Maybe it's like a little, like, <laughs> Maybe. you know, hark back to the fact that Maybe nobody seems to actually eat anything. True, yeah. Yeah, could well be. Need to watch that again. <laughs> yeah, so Victorian England is not very COVID safe. Mm, no, not the best. Yeah. It's nice to see full theatres, though, and uh, let's hope that that's a reality before oh. too long. Please, please. Yeah. I believe a giant cinema chain in America... And terribly, I can't remember the name of it now, but they're basically shutting up shop and not opening again. Oh, dear me. Eh. Wow. I know. That's not good news. Not really. So, yeah, come on, you know, when you're allowed and when you feel safe to do so, get yourself back to the cinema, back to the theatres. I can't wait. And, uh, I, I can get can out keep... there and enjoy it. In fairness, you can keep your pubs and your Primark for me. But <laughs> 17th of May, I, I am wanting to get to the cinema. <sighs> Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. Genuinely cannot wait. Definitely. Yeah. I'm hoping for some good reruns of things. Some good rewatches. Yeah. yeah, some good rewatches. I am looking forward to Sound of Metal, actually. That is, that's going to be... Uh, oh, is that have due it. out in time for the cinema's reopening? Because I want to watch that. Um, well, it's out already on Amazon Prime, I believe. Uh-huh. But you know I don't like giving money to those people. So, um, no. But it is going to get a theatrical release as well. So Brilliant. That's on my head. Well, thanks for the heads up. Yeah, definitely. Is it far fetched? Yes. <laughs> oh, I, can we mesh this in with nitpicks? <laughs> I would like to argue that it isn't, but uh, but continue. <laughs> okay, right. Let me limber up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it is far fetched. Come on. So, what we were saying before about. It sets its stall out as one particular type of film and then completely sideswipes you into another genre. It It's a straight-up, like, thriller. And yeah. then it goes, like, sci-fi crazy, which I don't have a problem with sci-fi, and I love sci-fi. As you know, I embrace yeah. it. It is possibly my favourite genre of films, books, whatever. But... I just feel like it was a little, no, not a little, a lot of a cop-out to basically go, oh yeah, so um, Tesla, who was like a, you know, an actual real character in history, yeah, he was just, he made this machine that can clone people and and gave it to this magician. It's like, what? No. It's madness. I, I, I get what you're saying. I do, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. However, I respectfully disagree. I respect, <laughs> indeed, yes, indeed. Because Tesla, I don't know a great deal about him, and, and I'd, I'd be interested in that. There was a there was a film, wasn't there? There was, there was a biopic um, that came out fairly recently. I don't think it was particularly well received, but I would like to go back and watch oh. that because he's. I mean, he sounds like a ridiculously interesting character, mm-hmm. and some of the things he came up with were stranger than you could make up. I think he was just one of those, an amazing physicist who just mm-hmm. never quite got his act together. I don't know why. Because some of the things he came up with, and, and he's obviously his, his legacy goes on. He, um, in, when was it? 1896, he bubbled ozone through oil to make uh, a hand sanitizer for hospitals. That's cool. That was 1896, he was mm-hmm. making hand sanitizer. He, I've, I've got to read you this because this is brilliant. He theorized okay. that the application of electricity to the brain 
enhanced intelligence. So in 1912, he crafted a plan to make dull students bright by saturating them unconsciously with electricity, by wiring the walls of a schoolroom and saturating it with infinitesimal electrical waves vibrating at high frequency. He okay. tried to make he tried to make people intelligent through electricity <laughs> through firing electricity at them. And then he Brilliant. claimed he claimed that he had designed a super weapon called which he called a teleforce, but people normally mm-hmm. refer to it as a death ray. Te- Tesla's death ray. <laughs> I mean this guy was kind of crazy. Sounds but pleasant. Also, you know, oh I mean he, I don't think he was a particularly nice guy. Had some mm. um yeah, not particularly uh, nice opinions about people and uh, well, peoples, but it was incredibly inventive. Mm-hmm. Who not? I mean, he was he was looking at wireless electricity. Who who knows if he came up with a cloning machine? You know, some of the things well, that he actually came I mean, up he with pro- he were stranger than, up, than fiction. He might have thought up a cloning machine, but it it didn't happen, and it's not a thing. It, it's well, just it's it's stretching the truth. Thing now, but it's just it, extrapolating the, the character and saying but that I he made like all this stuff. Using that, using that in the film was just a cop out. Like I, believe- I, I think it's a good kind of horror twist in a way, but I feel like we kind of got to a point where we were like, right, so what are we gonna do? To sort of make Angiers be able to match what Borden's doing to continue this yeah. rivalry. Uh, yeah, let's just give him a cloning machine then. Let's just, yeah, we'll send it to Tesla and, and Tesla can give him the cloning machine. But it's the fact that it cool. was set at the right time. The, you know, the whole, the book, the film, it's set at the time when Tesla was doing these experiments in Colorado Springs. Because um, he was. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that is that is true, that he was in Colorado Springs doing all kinds of bizarre experiments. It's true that he had a rivalry mm-hmm. with Edison. So there is, yeah. um, there's truth in it. And yeah. it's just kind of extrapolate. What if he did? What if he did do some of these things that he, <laughs> he had the idea? What if he did find a way of making people smart by firing electricity at them? What if he did? You know, there's, there's any number of films that you could make based on the things that Tesla didn't quite do. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, think, I just think it's interesting. I tell you mine. It is it. interesting. I think, it's, I think it is interesting, but I just don't like it as a plot device okay. for this I, I, film. I just, it's, it's not yeah. what it isn't, though, is it's not magic. It's not when they say, oh, this wasn't, when Cutter says that this wasn't built by a magician, this was built by a wizard, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's made very clear that he's not a wizard. He's a physicist. Yeah. And the whole mm-hmm. film is about the relationship between belief and science and magic and science. And I like that. Yeah. I like that we've started with illusion and now we've ended up with science. Admittedly, science that's a bit far-fetched. As you say, science <laughs> fiction. But it is science. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I quite like that. But yeah, my nitpick. Here's my nitpick about Tesla and his cloning machine. How has it taken them so long to find those hats? Yeah, I know. What's that about? I mean, he just wanders outside um, chasing the cat and finds mm-hmm. an enormous pile of black top hats in snow. Mm-hmm. It's so not 100 yards from the lab. How have yeah. they not seen those up to the, up to that point? That I have a problem with. Agreed. That's yeah. a good nitpick. Yeah. Yeah, I do have a problem with that. 
Um, I did notice, because you know I like credits. I do like credits. And I did notice <laughs> in the credits that there were four cat wranglers. There were two horse <laughs> wranglers. Two horse wranglers and four cat wranglers. Now, <gasps> nice. obviously I've got cats and you, uh, you've had cats and I completely understand that. I totally that understand that. If I get to go and work on big million, multi-million dollar film sets wrangling cats, I want that job. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrangle cats in my, in my spare time, you know, mm-hmm. so getting paid to do it, I'd be more than happy with that. <laughs> I also thought it's What's quite... What's the a- cat wrangler's... I was just going to say, what's the cat wrangler's name on uh, 30 Rock? Because <laughs> oh, it's just made me think that. of her. Oh, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's a, it is a thing, though. It's clearly a thing. Yeah. And what I like about the cloned Brilliant. cat is that the first thing the cloned cat does is practically go off and have a fight with itself. And it's like, <laughs> that, that's just like a cat. Only a cat could do that. That's exactly like a cat, yeah. Mind you, I suppose it's... Um, it's like a wild animal reaction to freak out, you know, something else there unexpected. And it's actually the way that Anjus reacts when he Truth. first clones himself. He just yeah. picks his gun up and shoots himself. Yeah. And it's like, oh, cold or what? Absolutely. Yeah. That is yeah. cold. He is a Defin- wild animal at that point. Crosses the line. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I've got another nitpick as well. Um so I wondered why it was necessary to have Cutter identify Angie's body in the morgue. Mm-hmm. He was like Cutter was there, Borden was there. Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming other emergency services came along True. as they were in the 1800s to sort of get him out of the tank and take him off to the morgue. Yeah, they're not really going to need to do a post mortem. You wouldn't have thought. It's quite obvious that he died from drowning. Yes. So why did Cutter have to go to the morgue to identify his body? And Good then point. I thought it's purely because it gives us the scene that comes a few minutes later, where Michael Caine, in brilliant Michael Caine delivery, gets to shout, "I saw you on a slab, for God's sake! <laughs> I saw you on a slab, for God's sake!" So dramatic. It's yeah. Michael Caine's, like, heavy hit moment. Yeah. When he realises that Anges isn't dead. Yes. You make the a very good reveal. point. It is, The yeah. prestige. So, oh, yeah, that will. scene is purely in there just to facilitate that line. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah, you're quite right. Yeah. That, that's and I just thought that, that was possibly the, yeah, the only clunky bit. You've just, you just spoiled it. You've just ruined the whole film for me. The whole Sorry, film. you'll never want to watch it again. <laughs> I mean, something that I did think about, but I, I've, I've I've talked myself out of it, is why doesn't he just get one clone and then he's mm-hmm. he's he can just do the trick I however that many too. times he likes? But I I explained it to myself mm-hmm. by thinking there's this whole thing with uh, with Root, isn't there? Where Root realizes that they need him more than he needs them, and he starts to mm. become a problem. And Cutter says, yeah. we, don't, we don't do any tricks we can't control. Yeah. And I assume that's why he doesn't just have one clone. Because then he's got, he's got a clone of himself. How does that even work? You know, are they working together? Are they, but he's got so, there's something out there that he can't control in that trick. Yeah, so if he's a clone of himself, though, which he is, then are, are their incentives and their motivations not the same? All like all the time, or would they potentially 
deviate and well, that's and want to go off and do their own thing. That's a question that's avoided by just drowning them, I guess. You know, is he drowning the say? Is he drowning the clone every night, or is he? Because is there a bit at the end where he says, "It's did it, did he call it courage walking into yeah. the electricity every every night and not knowing if you're gonna." If you're going to be the man be in the box. Be alive or not. Or, yeah, or the yeah. man in the box. He does. He does. Was that not a hint that is not? it's not necessarily original Angiers anymore? It is. But, again, we're, we're comparing apples and oranges. But apparently in the book, yeah. in the book, the idea is that the essence of the man goes into the new body. Right, yeah. And the, the thing that is left behind is a dead husk. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the book, then... The essence is the essence survives every time. It's not clear cut, is it? No. No. And also, why does he keep them all? Why does he keep all his um, all his little clones like dead in the water boxes in the escape boxes? You know, presumably, if if you're so worried about people finding your secrets out, you get rid of them. Unless he's waiting until the the hundredth show or whichever show it is that Borden shows up. And uh, mm. it's going to dispose of them all at once. But but these are, these really are, we're really getting into nitpick we territory are now. We are nitpicking. We're really yeah. Getting, yeah yeah. But it's the kind of film that invites nitpicking because there's so much yeah. intricacy. It's like yeah, we are watching closely. We are yeah, <laughs> probably too closely. If I'm honest, <laughs> uh, director trademarks. We've got the cast obviously that we spoke about. Uh, so Michael Caine yeah. was in Interstellar, all the Batman films. Um, Inception is in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Tenet. Bale, obviously. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. 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 Uh, Christian Bale from the Batman films. Um, yeah. Double identities. We get quite a lot of that in uh, in Christopher Nolan films because obviously we've got Batman. Like Practically everyone in Batman's got a double uh, <laughs> identity in that universe. True. Um, there's a double-headed coin um, in The Prestige and also in... Um, mm-hmm. Dark Knight, uh, Two Face has his his coin. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, also, other other similarities to the to the Batman trilogy. We've got double identities where one of those identities has got a massive stately house and tons of money. <laughs> it's always handy for a plot device, very isn't handy. it? It's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is it's a quite quite lazy, but uh, yeah, very handy. Yeah. Plot device, and obviously he's the king. I would say of the non-linear storytelling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, are any of his yeah, films in gets... the right order? Um, I think maybe the... maybe Insomnia. I was going to say, could you argue that Dunkirk is? Uh, I know it flits between stories, but all those yeah. stories are supposed to be taking place like kind of. Kind of simultaneously, yeah, but over days and like a Russian hours doll. and minutes. Yeah, very much like yeah. a Russian doll. Um, oh, I love Dunkirk. We need to need to watch that again. Need to mm. watch that again. I want to watch that again. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, the Memento is all in the wrong order. Inception, Tenet, Interstellar. We've got flashbacks. Mm-hmm. King of the non-linear story. I haven't seen his uh, his first full-length film, Following. I looked it up on uh, uh, on, on Google to see if I could buy it, and it's it's a bit like your blow-dry film 
Um, yeah. it's, it's hard to come by. Um, and I think there was one review, and presumably that's from the guy who was selling it on eBay, who said that mm-hmm. it's it's good, but it's more like the kind of film that's made for uh, for producers and directors as like a showcase of what he can do. Right. And it seemed to work in this case because apparently Sam Mendes was attached to the film to start with. Because mm-hmm. uh, he was big at the time. Christopher Nolan was nobody. And mm-hmm. uh, Christopher Priest, who wrote the book, he was sent uh, a copy of Christopher Nolan's uh, film following, watched it and went, we're going to give this guy a go. Cool. And um, that's, how, mm-hmm. that's how he got the gig. So I would like to see it, but I don't really want to pay a lot of money for it. Yeah, so, that's you fair know. enough. Maybe it'll pop Keep up on like out. film four sometime. Maybe, maybe at like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, I have to keep uh, checking on Just Watch. I love that app. Mm. But oh so, yeah, yeah, it's such a good app. Really good. Yeah, tells mm-hmm. you where you can see things and how much they are, which is great. Yeah. Um, could it start a franchise? Do we need a prequel or a sequel? I would. I would welcome a sequel. I think. Ooh. I'd like to find yeah. out what happens to Olivia. Yeah, what happens Olivia to her? Where does she go? And boredom with his little girl. Mm. Yeah. But what does he do now? Now he hasn't yeah. got his act. He's free though, isn't he? I, I have a feeling that a sequel would be a bit boring because it'd be bored and going. Do you know what? I've got my life back. I'm going to go to the park, and you know. Uh, See, I reckon he'd. Um, I reckon he'd carry. I, I think he'd end up back in magic. Do you think mm. so? Yeah. Sleight of hand. I think he turns into David. I'm trying Blaine. to figure out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. Maybe. Maybe that would be like his thing now because he can't do anything flashy that involves a double. He would just have to sit in a perspex box, suspended, hanging off tennis. the Tower of London yeah. for a month. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I would be interested in a, in a prequel of sorts to find mm-hmm. out how on earth um, Alfred uh, and and Fallon got to this point. Mm, At what yeah. point did they decide this was the way they were going to live their lives? I know it is interesting because you kind of feel that when Anges and Borden go to watch the Chinese magician, mm. who, who was based on an actual show. real magician, by the way. Oh right, cool. When they go to watch his show, it it feels like that's the point where Borden gets the idea to like live and breathe the act. Mm. Like he's admiring that magician for living and breathing yes. that yeah. act all the time, like never yeah. letting it up. Um, but obviously, he must have been doing it from yeah from before that time. Yeah, I would assume, or maybe maybe, or maybe he's not. He maybe didn't. he just wrote no. to his brother and went, "Hey, bro, I've got an idea. Yeah. Fancy like doubling up with me, and we'll just pretend to be one person." Yeah, but His if that was the must case, have been in a pretty bad state. <laughs> but surely people would know that they were twins, though. Mm. At that point, yeah, you would think so. You'd think that people would already know that he had a twin brother, and then when he rocks up as a magician mm-hmm. doing the transported man, they go, "I know him. He's got a twin brother. I've met him." Or what? You know, in eighteen hundreds Victorian London, was it? Were you considered like a freak of nature or something to be an identical twin? Maybe. Maybe. See, these and are the therefore questions. had to live a life in shelter. And Possibly. These hiding. are the questions we need answering. I would be interested in that, even just like a you know a half hour DVD extra 
I would be interested yeah. in that. Because the heartbreaking thing about it is why don't they just tell Sarah the truth? Yeah, I don't get you it. You know, you've just got that scene where you you know it's not going to end well for anybody and mm. they're keeping secrets from her and all they need to do is tell her and yeah. they won't tell her because it will jeopardise the, the career. And I'm fairly certain that she would be happy to play along in public if she knew that she was not with but Alfred she wouldn't. but with Fallon, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes. I feel like she would just play along with it in public just... Yes, maybe. You know. Maybe. To keep them happy. Yeah. But would they lose her? Would would they lose her if they told her the truth? Because, you know, that's a pretty big secret to keep, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, because there's, like, you can't trust her right from the outset that she would keep a secret like that. And then by the time you've become that involved in a relationship and stuff, you've basically then spent that whole relationship lying to you. Yeah. Spouse, and then you're going to tell them, oh, I've been lying to you all this time, and it's not just been me that you've been dating. Exactly. So that's not going to yeah, go down well. Yeah, there's all kinds of questions getting raised at that yeah. point, isn't there? And there's mm-hmm. nothing stopping mm-hmm. her from going out and entirely ruining both yeah. their lives and their careers. Um, but, you know, I just think it's a it's an interesting interesting thing. How did, how did they get there? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, prequel would be good. Yeah. So I think... I think that just about wraps up um, the prestige. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I was texting, I was texting you about this at the weekend. I, I think I, my, I, th- I'm going to put it out there that this is better than Inception. Yeah, if, if you can't there. tell what that noise is, I'm sucking her through my teeth. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. It's Fair at enough. least as good. I would argue it's better, but in terms of twisty films. I think it's mm-hmm. one of the best twisty films out there. Yeah. The way it's it set a, up... It, yeah, it's a pretty solid twist. Because the, there's a few twists as well, it's not just one. Oh, goodness, it just keeps twisting and twisting like a twisty-turny thing, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and aside from the very minor nitpicks, it solidly fits together, doesn't it? It's like a Chinese puzzle it does. box. It fits together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's got to be a good puzzle to make you want to go back and rewatch it. Because there's very many films that, once you know the twist, there's not really any point in watching them anymore. Yeah. But because... this, yeah, you definitely, you you want to rewatch it and pick up on more things each time and try and figure out when it's Alfred, when it's exactly. Fallon. Exactly. I was writing down all the time, like, like that's, that, yeah. that's Fallon. No, that's a, a crossing it out. Like, a, again, mm-hmm. like, the, like the crazy sticky note meme guy. Um, yeah. You do, you kind of, you want to work it out. Um, I think Christopher Nolan is the director that M. Night Shyamalan wishes he could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. A- a- aside from the the Unbreakable um, trilogy, I think most of his films just hit you over the head with the fact that there's a twist. Mm-hmm. And you just spend the whole film trying to work out what that twist is. And then once you yeah. find it, it just becomes an increasingly annoying film. It's just a... a mm-hmm. Just a real frustrating experience, isn't it? Once you yeah. once you figured it out, and then you, it's not enjoyable anymore because the whole film hinges on the twist. Whereas I don't feel like that's the case with the Prestige. No, Christopher Nolan is definitely the master of rewatchable twisty films. Yeah, because yeah, Inception, Interstellar, even though some people don't like it, um, 
Tenet and and the Prestige Memento, you know, there there's always something to go back and watch it again for. Yeah. And even though you know that you're going in, you you know you can make a safe assumption you're going to go and watch Christopher Nolan film now without, with the exception of Dunkirk, because that's not really twisty. But no, um, we kind of know how that ends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> you know, you you know that you're going to get some sort of twisty turny film with Christopher Nolan, and he'll give you like a little bit at the beginning, mm-hmm. but then come the end, you still don't know which way's up and which way's down. Yeah. And the whole thing is just an enjoyable experience. I mean, I remember, mm-hmm. I know I've said this before, I remember watching The Sixth Sense and actually guessing, guessing the twist from the trailer and then hating <laughs> the entire film. I hated the oh, entire no. film. Because from, from minute one, I was like, oh, yeah, I was right about the, the twist mm-hmm. in the trailer. I think we're allowed to say that Bruce Willis's character <laughs> in The Sixth Sense is dead. <gasps> no, I've never watched it. Oh, she's no, joking. <laughs> but it's so obvious. Yeah. Um, and the village, the twist so obvious. Although someone I know did think the twist was that um, is it Bryce Dallas Howard? Um, someone did think yeah. the twist was that her character was blind, which oh, that's, right, that's yeah. not at all the twist. That's the entire point of the film. That's why they yeah. send her out into the world. I read that somewhere world. as well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, those films are not even enjoyable, really, the first time. Certainly not enjoyable on rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell you what, I need what I want to re- want to rewatch is perhaps too strong a, a phrase. But I need to rewatch Dead Man's Shoes. Have you I seen it? Don't think I've watched that. No, I think but we- I'm sure. Maybe it's you that's mentioned it to me recently, or somebody else has definitely. You, okay, what's that yeah. one about? Well, again, I'm trying not to spoiler it, but there's a twist in it. <laughs> there is a twist in it, and you probably get it. You'll probably get the twist. You'll probably get what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't spoil the film. Um, right. But I've, I've only seen it once because it's really quite harrowing. Um, it's really, oh. really good, but it's really quite harrowing. Um, like, what mood do you have to be in? To... Like, literally no idea what <laughs> mood you have to be in to watch it. Um, but mm-hmm. make sure that you've you've you know, make sure you've got a, a glass of wine at least. Okay. Um, it's a very very good film, and again, guessing what's going on doesn't spoil mm-hmm. the film. Mm-hmm. I ha- but I haven't watched it again, not because I'm worried that it won't be as good, but because it it, it just it took a lot out of me. <laughs> yeah. Aww. So yeah, but I do I'm need intrigued. To, I, I am do intrigued. need to watch it again soon. So maybe we ne- maybe we need to do this on a podcast soon. When maybe yeah. in the summer, maybe in the summer when when people can go out and do things and we're kind of all happy, maybe that's okay. the time. That's the time to do Dead Man's Shoes. Okay. I don't, I don't think it's been the right time to do it over the the last you know year or so. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we need to build up a level of happiness and brightness and fun, Definitely. and sunniness yeah. before we touch on that. I was just gonna say I've got a good. Um, like twisty turny film that is nice and comforting and easy to watch. Yeah. Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh yeah, actually, it's, yeah. You know that, that's my favourite Harry Potter film. Well, it, yeah, for me too. But I just think it's a nice comfort film to watch. It's not yes. too twisty turny that it leaves your brain hurting at the end of it. No. Um. You know, it's good. 
interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and family friendly for the most part. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's less it's less dark than the the, the next one. Um, yeah, you could watch it with your mum. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> you can. And there's precious mm-hmm. few of those films about. <laughs> That's true. As we're finding out. So yeah, we don't know what we're going to do next month. It's May next month. Maybe we could do Dunkirk, you know, like Mayday, Mayday. <laughs> and that's very good. Yeah, or maybe we need to do. A, uh, we need to cobble together a reason why uh, any of the Star Wars films are, uh, are oh, British yeah. films. So I'm that sure we can, we can do a, a, a May, May the Fourth Be With You film. So who knows? We might do another Twisty Tony film um, next month, or, or, or we might just give our brains a rest. Mm-hmm. And watch something Maybe. nice and simple. Yeah, something light and airy to bring May in. <laughs> Definitely. But I have thoroughly enjoyed rewatching The Prestige. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Maybe we should end the podcast by just saying abracadabra. Abracadabra. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs>